Kia whanau, and welcome to When Lambs Are Silent, the podcast. We've got another bonus episode for you, you know, again in this theme of looking at the alcohol reform bill. Yeah, and this one is talking to Dr. Nikki Jackson from Alcohol Watch. It's a really, really interesting conversation we're going to be talking about, sort of alcohol lobby groups and, you know, answering some of those questions around why maybe it's so difficult to get alcohol reform happening in this country when there is so much consensus that something needs to be changed. So yeah, I really want to invite you to this conversation. It's going to be, yeah, it's interesting, it's challenging and I, and I hope, I think, you'll learn something. Again, as we come into it, like this is another one of those conversations that's so easy for us to politicise, you know, um, to, I guess, you know, make it a left-right issue or, a, you know, national labour greens issue. But I think this is something where we can find a lot of unity This isn't about taking away your alcohol. It's not taking away your right to have a drink. It's about saying, well, actually, there's huge corporations that are getting a lot of money off this and there's a lot of harm happening in our community. How do we reduce it? And so we kind of touch on that a little bit in this quarter door. Yeah, so look, I hope you enjoy it and uh, I'll get out of the way and we'll get into it. Cheers. Welcome to When Lambs Are Silent, the podcast. And we have a very, very special guest with us today. Um, we're talking about alcohol reform and what that looks like. And yeah, well, I'm going to hand over to you. Why don't you introduce me? Oh, Morena, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, so, Koniki uh, Jackson Aho, I'm the director of Alcohol Health Watch. We're a national charity funded by the government to reduce the harm from alcohol and particularly to reduce the inequities in alcohol harm across society through having good policy measures in place. Policies that protect New Zealanders, not just drinkers but others from alcohol harm cool and and what before we get started like why don't we yeah can you tell us a bit more about yourself who you are and and i guess specifically obviously you've devoted so much of your time and your life to this coca pill why, why is it so important to you yeah I've, I've been 14 years in alcohol harm reduction wow. now and one of the things that really appeals to me is that you can make such huge change to people's lives, you know, to, to their well-being, to families, to individuals, to communities, to society, by by taking action on one thing, taking mm. action on alcohol, you can lift mental well-being, improve physical well-being. You know, you can reduce crashes on the road, children born with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, reduce crime, violence, improve productivity, economic growth. It doesn't matter where you are on this political spectrum. There are benefits to be gained by changing the way that we use, use alcohol in this country. It's, yeah, I mean. When you put it within that context it's pretty awesome yeah you know? and you know when we do this and we, and we change the culture around drinking it's you know i look at my two 10 year old boys and i want them to grow up in a different you know mm. drinking culture that we have i want them to grow up in a culture where low risk drinking is the norm or non-drinking is supported so the actions that we take today not just impact you know reducing harm for this generation but can shift the norms around drinking in our country for future generations to grow up and have healthier, you know, opportunities and reach their potential. So, you know, there is a great opportunity to leave a, an amazing legacy in this kind of work. Mm. Yeah, talk, talk to us about that. You know, I think when we have this this conversation, often people think we're saying uh, no one should be allowed to drink. You can't buy, you know, a beer. You know, trying to take away our alcohol. I don't think that's what you're saying. Not at all. Um, so, so what is the what are some of the challenges you see with our current drinking culture 
that are causing harm and, and how do you want to shift that or how yeah. do you think we need to shift well you know we just have to look outside to the environment you yeah. know what are, what are the signals in our environment that are around drinking it's heavily promoted and advertised so it's normalized it's glorified it's perceived to be fun and, and, and you know humorous and, and binge drinking is you know absolutely glorified in this country we just had great day last weekend you know what other countries have this national day almost that you know normalizes and celebrates excessive drinking we also have the availability of alcohol outlets everywhere you know bottle stores in our most deprived communities particularly so it's really accessible now even from the comfort of your couch on an app to get it within 15 minutes you know to be drinking in, in your home environment and then it's sold very cheaply so alcohol is really affordable. So the price is sending a signal that this is not a harmful drug we're talking about. This is cheaper than a bottle of water. So it's the environment that we all live in day to day that is really sending the signal that this drinking is normal and that heavy drinking is normal in, in, in our country. And so we really are up against this, this massive environment that is enabling our drinking. It's not promoting us to cut back our drinking. It's not promoting us to have alcohol-free days. Absolutely not. We see alcohol ads every day. We see the shops every day and when we're buying it it's really cheap so what we're aiming for is everybody to drink within what the Ministry of Health called the lowest drinking guidelines we can have huge benefits when we cut back on our alcohol use so I want things to start moving in the right direction we've had no change for such a long time so we've got high levels of alcohol harm but if we did put in place some good controls to our environment like we've seen with tobacco get rid of advertising lift the price reduce the availability we can create change. We know the same would happen for alcohol. We don't, not, it's not like tobacco, we want to get rid of tobacco, obviously, but we want to have New Zealanders reap the huge benefits from drinking less. Let's shift the dial and let's get more balance in terms of the way that we're drinking in this country. I guess some people might ask, you know, I mean, isn't this just about individual choice? You know, we, we, we exist in a capitalist society, businesses should be allowed to advertise their products, and then it's up to consumers to decide whether they use them or not. I mean, how does the advertising, as the way you see it, impact on individual choice? And is it, is, is it that simple? Yeah, and, and you need to go back a step. And who's promoting that individual choice? But it's on the back of your bottle. Drink responsibly, the industry are telling you. It's an individual choice. And if you drink responsibly, then you won't create harm to yourself and others. So that's the rhetoric or the narrative we hear strongly from this alcohol industry. It's about individual choice. But we're talking about a harmful, psychoactive, addictive drug. So where is that choice element in terms of if a bottle store is on your corner and you know you're in recovery trying to you know stay sober you know how is that choice enabled within that environment or look at kids they don't choose where they live but they're saturated with liquor outlets around their neighborhood with liquor advertising so they have no choice in this either that you know these messages that they're bombarded with and if you're talking about choice these days there's no better you know thing to look at than digital media where your data is harvested so they can the industry can directly target these alcohol ads to you based on the emotions that you're feeling that day or things that you're doing or your location of where you're at so absolutely not the industry uh, has a lot of control <laughs> over the so-called choice or responsibility around drinking so it's really difficult in New Zealand to actually you know cut back your drinking or have alcohol free days because it is just so normalized those choices are really really hard to make 
So talk to us a little bit about this. I guess, you know, if you so close, Warbrick, we talked about um, some of the harm that, you know, alcohol harm that has been caused at the moment and her bill that, that she she was putting through Parliament. I guess the question here is is really around this industry. You've talked about it quite a lot. You know, this I think we mentioned in the previous episode as well, we didn't really get into it, but the lobby groups and, and the power and the control that they have. And, and what I'm hearing is that they are having a huge impact on shaping our choice and shaping our environment and shaping our culture. Can you speak a little bit about, about that? Like, how is that... Is this just an accident? Like how much power do they really have? You know, when you talk about it a bit, it sounds almost like cloak and dagger stuff. Uh, are they really that intentional around the direction and the shaping of the way that we perceive alcohol and the way that we use it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's absolutely intentional. So, you know, if we if we start with, and, and it impacts every level of decision-making around alcohol, whether it's communities trying to fight liquor outlets going up against the alcohol industry and their lawyers, whether it's governments trying to put good, you know, national policies in place and, and, you know, the alcohol industry in the halls of parliament having those conversations with our politicians through to international trade agreements and trying to prevent good measures being put in place. So when we talk about the alcohol industry in New Zealand, you know, we're talking about a multinational alcohol companies that sell alcohol here. So about 80% of the revenue from alcohol is from multinational companies. So we're talking about Lion, we're talking about Heineken, Asahi, uh, Puno Rickard. These are international companies based in, in the Netherlands and, and in Japan that have huge power. They, you know, they sell alcohol throughout the world. And so they have a massive power base. They've got resources at their disposal, lawyers, you name it. But what, what they do is a num- they utilise basically the tobacco um, industry playbook. Same, same similar strategies. So they heavily use litigation as a way to prevent good policies getting across the line. So we see this with communities trying to fight liquor outlets in their neighbourhood. The retailers come up and they're well resourced with their lawyers to fight this tooth and nail. And then communities often don't succeed in preventing that liquor outlet coming to their neighbourhood. We've seen this in Auckland. We've seen the supermarkets lawyer up and take Auckland Council's local alcohol policy in September all the way to the Supreme Court to challenge restrictions around alcohol sales. So, you know, they've got a lot of money at their disposal to to use their lawyers to prevent good policies getting across the line. But the other thing you said is they they shift the narrative or they they control the narrative around drinking. So it's around drinking responsibly, you know, that that, that is about individuals. And that then lends the industry to promote certain kinds of strategies that they think will work to change our drinking culture. Because if it's about individual choice, it's about education and it's about treatment of individuals. What do we know? Education doesn't change behaviour. It doesn't work. But that is the, certainly the most dominant strategy that they promote about individual approaches to reducing alcohol harm. We can't educate ourselves out of this. And treatment is heavily resource intensive and we don't have everything available you know, in New Zealand around addiction treatment. Whereas they absolutely oppose the policies that will make the greatest difference to our communities and the greatest difference to equity. And that is addressing the low price of alcohol, the availability of alcohol and the advertising of alcohol. And they fight these policies tooth and nail. They, you're right, they, they have swipe cards. They can access the halls of parliament. I can't, I don't have that access. But the lobbyists have these um, swipe cards to be able to go and have these conversations. You know, it is around uh, party donations. It's around gifts. It's, it's around a whole range of strategies that are used to, you know, really control that narrative. They promote... Their messages around, well, it's just harmful drinking that's the problem. 
It's just alcohol abuse. It's just about the small proportion of the population, 20%, that drink harmfully. So they create this dichotomy as if you're either kind of a, a safe drinker or a harmful drinker. It's not how it works. We know that the more harm from the more from more alcohol is being consumed, it's on a spectrum. For young people, huge harms at low levels of consumption. You know, pregnant persons, huge, huge harms from alcohol consumption during pregnancy. But the industry, they want to, you know, draw this line as if there's only harm when you abuse alcohol. So that shifts the narrative to, oh, it's just heavy drinking that we need to address. And that is absolutely not true. So, and then we talk about things like, corporate social responsibility about whitewashing the image of the alcohol industry. So we see this all the time that the industry partners up with, you know, things like Movember around mental health. Can you imagine <laughs> a drug that's really harmful to our mental health partnering in a campaign to improve our mental health? They partner with cancer, you know, charities and things like this to try and make them look like they're part of the solution, that they care but their bottom line is about profit back to their shareholders overseas. And, you know, sports sponsorship's a good example of this. You know, number of teams in New Zealand are sponsored by alcohol. It creates this goodwill around alcohol companies that they're helping to fund sport in this country. So, you know, I think we need to really take a step back. And what is the elephant in the room here? It is about this powerful, very powerful alcohol industry that is using, you know, litigation, it's changing the narrative, it's lobbying against policies that will make a really significant difference to our communities. And that is what's stopping us getting these things across the line. Wow, when you put it out there like that, it doesn't sound all that democratic. So is this what's been holding up reform? You know, I mean, I know that there's been huge movements within the communities trying to push for better regulation within our communities, a desire to see shifts, especially in our lower socioeconomic communities. I think we see the harm far more readily. Is it, is it in your view that these lobby groups are impacting on our democracy and our ability to actually have control around the shape and structure of our communities. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. So in, in 2012, uh, when we got our new liquor laws, the objective of those liquor laws was to improve community input into local alcohol licensing decisions. Mm. Because for so long, communities have struggled to have a say when it comes to alcohol availability in their neighbourhoods. They want greater controls, but they're not, they're not seeing them. So 2012, that objective was, well, no, this pendulum needs to swing back to community preferences, their wishes are to have a greater say on alcohol availability. And so councils around the country could go and consult with their communities, find out their preferences for how long they wanted places to stay open at night, how many liquor outlets there should be in a neighbourhood, to go and find out their desires and their preferences and put those into a local alcohol policy. This sounds great, but the reality is what's happened is that 95% of those policies around the country have been appealed by the alcohol retailers because these policies will restrict sales of alcohol, reduce profit. So here was communities consulted on their preferences around alcohol control, but at the end of the day, these alcohol retailers have been fighting them tooth and nail, these policies. And so, so many policies have never got across the line because they're stuck in this appeals process. Meanwhile, communities can't take part in this process. They can't go to the High Court, the Court of Appeal, the Supreme Court to ensure that their voices are continually heard. Absolutely not. They don't have the resources to do that. So this whole process of democracy around local alcohol availability has been totally taken over by the supermarkets and the bottle stores in their appeals to these councils' local alcohol policies. So 
that promise that communities would have a greater say in 2012. We're, we're exactly 10 years down the track from that legislation being put in place. That has not been the reality. That promise has not been fulfilled. Communities are still struggling to fight liquor outlets in their neighbourhood. Councils are struggling to get good local alcohol policies across the line. So it has absolutely been ineffective for democracy and to uphold community wishes for greater control. So that's fairly disturbing, obviously, when we think about the, the harm that continues to be done and perpetuated within our communities. Um, and to think that, you know, business interests and are having an undue impact on, I guess, the safety of our communities, despite our, our obvious wishes. Um, I mean, what do we do about that? How do we shift that? How do we change that? Yeah, well, we just had an announcement yesterday uh, from the government, a new community participation amendment to our liquor laws, which is going to remove that appeals process within local alcohol policies. So councils around the country have expressed huge frustrations at being about not able to uphold the wishes of their community because of this appeals process. And so this proposed law that will be going out for consultation next year seeks to remove that appeals process so that there's no right of appeal, that councils can go out and hear about their preferences from the communities, they can take those on board, they can develop their local alcohol policy and adopt it without having to face this relentless challenge from the alcohol retailers against their policies. Other council policies don't have this appeals provision. Why is it that only alcohol policies have this in it? So it's great news yesterday that after years and years for calling for change, we're going to see that appeals provision removed and so that, count, so that communities can have a greater say in that policy. And that's good news. Awesome. And do you think that will go through? I mean, you know, again, looking at the history of reform in this area, it's been slow and, and often there's been a lot of false hope. Um, do you think we'll be able to get that across the line or, you know, what challenges do you foresee in seeing that reform happen? Well, you know, the good news is, is that this is a government bill, so uh, would hope that with the majority this will get across the line, say, mid-next year. Uh, you know, there's other elements in this bill that are also uh, really promising around um, enabling communities to have a greater say on individual liquor outlets in their neighbourhoods. So at the moment, uh, you you have to have standing to object. You have to live within one to two kilometres of the premises to be able to have a say. Well, these this new bill suggests that no, anybody can have a say on that, including organisations that may not be in that area, but work with the communities in that area. So that's great news. They're going to get rid of cross-examination so the industry lawyers can't, you know, dominate these hearings and just ask questions and questions to, to community members. So that's heading in the right direction. So that's great. That's going to address the availability of alcohol. But the one policy that the industry will fight the hardest against are restrictions to advertising and sponsorship. They need that to not only, you know, send the messages out there that alcohol is normal and it's fun and it's part of everyday occasions. It's absolutely imperative for them to be able to advertise their product. So that's where we see the greatest challenge. That's where the government will find the most intense lobbying is around restrictions to alcohol advertising. But, you know, look at the success around tobacco. We've got rid of advertising. We've got rid of sponsorship. The, the sky didn't fall in. And we're now kind of getting to a stage where fewer young people are smoking. And, and studies overseas have shown that when you restrict advertising, fewer young people can name cigarette brands. You know, my kids won't be able to name a cigarette brand, I'm sure, because of these measures that have been taken to protect them from the harms of, of marketing. So, you know, it's really important that 
you know, your audience recognises that, you know, the policies that are going to make the greatest difference to our communities, really, we're struggling against a very powerful industry that would do anything to prevent those policies getting across the line. So how do we shift that one? You know, I mean, that seems like to be one of the big the big um, piece of reform that needs to happen. I mean, when we look at, like you said, the tobacco industry, we've seen change. It's good change in that area when we restricted advertising and regulated it. Also, interesting enough, one of the big arguments against cannabis legalization was, oh, well, look what's happened to the alcohol industry. And so there seems to be a desire to have greater regulation there. <laughs> um, I mean, why is it that we haven't just, you know, the government hasn't put this in, that we're not running full steam ahead already, despite years of recommendations that, you know, advertising gets regulated. Yeah. And one of the things that's different for tobacco is there's, there's an international agreement called the Framework Convention of Tobacco Control, mm. which pretty much kicks the tobacco industry off the policy-making table. So it gives greater autonomy and control within government to set policy without that influence of the tobacco industry at the table. So there are sections in that treaty that says that governments must protect their tobacco control policies from those commercial interests. So there's greater transparency on, on who's meeting who, the sales of tobacco and things like that. What we're calling for internationally is a framework convention on alcohol control. So let's remove those alcohol industry players from those decisions on alcohol policy. Let the government be free to make those decisions uh, without that influence of vested interest. And, you know, I think... We can go back to 2018. The Mental Health and Addiction Inquiry made this really, really clear. They said, what is one of the greatest things that is preventing these good policies getting across the line? It is the role of these vested interests. And they, they, it was great that they said that. They, they made it very clear that that is a key player and why we're not seeing change. And when we say, you know, just to, to go back to that, those interests and um, the influence of the lobbies, I'm guessing it's more than relationships. So these, is it actually that we have, you know, alcohol industry funding political parties and supporting with political donations? Is that something that's actually happening in Aotearoa? I know that we hear about it in the States and that influence of those big, you know, the gun lobby and the like. Is it similar to, to what you see here? Well, you know, there'll, there'll be likely a range of strategies used politically to, to influence, but but you're right around those that relationship building. We know that, you know, there's a list of people on, on the government website who have swipe card access to Parliament and the alcohol lobbyists are on that list. So that, that does open the doors to these conversations to happen. And so what we tend to then hear is, is the industry messages coming through very clearly in the debate, you know, that that youth drinking is declining, everything's looking better, we're drinking less than we were 30 years ago. I don't know how many times I've had to counteract those messages. So that discourse, that narrative has been very, very strong. And you're right, that that happens from, from those relationships and, um, you know, gifts that are given and, and things like that. So, I mean, what's the, what's the future that you want to see for Aotearoa? What's the future you want to see for our kids? How should this look? Well, I, th I think, you know, that this year we've seen a number of New Zealanders get behind the need for alcohol reform, to get behind Chloe Swarbrick's bill in particular. We have, you know, good levels of public support for change here. We have, you know... Uh, Strong evidence base. We don't, we don't need more evidence, Aaron. I, I have to say, we've had review after review after review on what needs to happen. So what we really need to be having is greater community mobilisation to be really calling for change and demanding change from their local MPs and from the ministers. And, you know, and we, we need stronger political will here. And I think removing that alcohol industry from this picture 
will will free up those conversations and allow politicians to make to make stronger decisions. We've seen that happen with getting the tobacco industry off the table. We need to equally do the same for alcohol. These commercial determinants of health is what we call them. The tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, the unhealthy food industry, the gambling industry, they're all connected internationally. Well, they all share similar directors at the table. So they're all playing off everyone else's playbook. It's, you know, so I think action that we can take around alcohol could also bring about positive change to other um, harmful commodities we're trying to address. So, uh, if, you know, as we sort of begin to close, you know, if, if you're speaking to someone here who maybe joined this conversation at the time, that they're like, oh, I'm really not sure about this whole alcohol regulation thing. They're listening to you like, what's, what's one thing you'd like to leave them with to, to mull over as they kind of walk away from this conversation? is that you know what we're asking for is you know restrict say restrictions to advertising it doesn't have any harmful impact on you by having no alcohol billboards outside your house you know so so the impacts at a personal level or having fewer alcohol outlets you still know where the local ones you are to go to and if we raise the price of alcohol we're talking about a you know a small increase relative to the huge benefits we'll see in terms of reduction of alcohol harm and you know many of us are that you know at risk of, of alcohol harm out, out there just not from our own drinking so you know from a personal perspective the policies that we're actually asking for they don't have a huge negative impact on an individual but they have massive positive impacts on society so you know I think we're all to benefit here every New Zealander will benefit by our country drinking less and we're asking for for three key policies reducing the availability of alcohol increasing the price of alcohol and restricting advertising they'll make not just a great difference to to individuals but particularly as you say to the communities that are carrying a disproportionate burden of that alcohol harm so if you want to create a fairer society i have to say alcohol is a good place to start mm. and what's one thing if someone's sitting here and they're like yep cool i want to do something about this what's one thing that someone could do today to support um, moving this COPA forward well, I think your MP needs to hear loud and clear your concerns. You know, I, I think MPs, when they realise that there's a number of residents in the area that are concerned about an issue, will we'll take it forward. But those conversations need to happen. So if it's not speaking to the media or it's, you know, speaking to MPs, it's, it's about having those leaders know that you're concerned about this issue and that you want to see them take action. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks, mate. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and your wisdom with us. Um, it's been great to have you. Thank you so much. Kia ora. Kia ora. Winlambs is silent, the podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you are listening, and join the conversation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The music from this podcast is from the album Dissonance by Jess Jackson and Leon Shelley. Listen to more from these artists on Spotify.